from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as recorded in Matthew chapter 6. Pray like this, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Well, you know, I've been teaching people the Bible in some form or another for about 30 years now. Uh, I've been teaching here at this church, Community Christian, for about 26 out of those 30 years. And I know what you're thinking. He ain't old enough for that. Thank you very much. But it's true, right? And here's what I want to say. In that time of teaching people the Bible, there is a quote that I think I've used in my sermons more than any other statement I have ever used. And I thought, I don't want to do it again, but I thought there's no better way to start what we're talking about today than to use that one. So I'm breaking it out again. And here's the quote that I use all the time. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because here's what I know about you, and I don't even know all of you, but I still know this about you. Whenever someone mentions God in your presence, your imagination starts to work. You get a picture. You get some kind of image in your mind. And the reason I know that is because that's the way it works for me. That's the way it works for all of us. By the way, in case you're new around here, my name's Jason. I'm on staff here at the church. And my picture of God is like yours. It's been molded by all the experiences and the things that I've gone through all throughout my life. My image of God was shaped by my parents who took me to church with them. My image of God was shaped by my grandparents who were at that church and I interacted with them. My image of God was shaped by the people that I encountered at that church, the teachers that I had in what we used to call Sunday school and they would teach me when I was a little kid. It was shaped by my experiences in my life. I've had some successes in this life. I've had some losses in this life. And my image of God has been shaped by that. It's been shaped by the time that I have spent reading the Bible, studying the Bible on my own. And believe it or not, my view of God has been shaped by my children. The experience that I've had of just being their dad. But here's what I've noticed over the years. Pretty much all of us wind up going through life, and to one degree or another, our images about God and our thoughts about God, well, they tend to shift and they tend to change throughout our lives. And what we talked about last week, the unfortunate part of that is many of us get our image of God and we relate to God based on what works for us in that particular moment or particular season of our life. We just go with what works. That's the way our culture is sort of built these days, especially. Now, I'll give you an example. Some people start out in their life, and they got this picture of God, and here's basically who God was. He's like this sweet old grandpa. He just gives you what you need, right? He just, whenever you need something, you just crawl up in his lap and say, Grandpa, here's what I want. And he goes, oh, honey. And then he gives it to you. And he doesn't really care too much about what you do. He's just proud of you. He just loves you so much, and you just go be you. And Grandpa will always be there for you. And that's how your image of God started out. Until that picture didn't work for you anymore. And the reason that picture of God didn't work for you anymore is simple. You didn't always get everything out of life that you wanted. 
and you started noticing that there are some things in this life that needed fixing, and there's some stuff in this world that are wrong, and you just wish Grandpa would get up out of that chair and do something about it, and he doesn't seem to be moving. <laughs> and so that image of God just didn't work for you now, and so you sort of toss that one away. And then some people, they wind up with, well, they get a little, a little more stern image of God, right? They get a harsher version, meaner version of God. God's really upset because there's a lot of things wrong in this world, and God's really mad at all the stuff going on. Particularly, he's mad at all the people who are doing all the bad stuff in this world, making this world hard. And God's on the edge of his seat, and he, he's, he's really upset, and he's, he's patient, but he's got some judging to do. In fact, he's got some smiting I wish he would do. Smiting's a, a Bible word, by the way. We like a God who will smite some people, right? And he wants to destroy all the bad things, and particularly all these bad people who are doing all these bad things. So that's your image of God until that image doesn't work for you because that image of God just leaves you distant from God because who wants to hang out with that one? That's not a God I want to hang out with. That's not a God I want to draw close to. And here's the other thing that happens when you carry that image of God around with you for any length of time is not only is God angry, so are you. You wind up becoming just as angry at God at all the people and all the situations that aren't working out the way you think they should. And here's what I've also found is you're not just angry at all those people out there that aren't living up to God's standards. Secretly, you're angry at yourself because you know you ain't either. And it's exhausting. And it's miserable. And what I see is a lot of people just go through life and they're just cycling through these images of God one way or another to one degree or another to the point where they get so frustrated and they get so tired that they get to a point in life where they're not even sure there is a God anymore or why would I even want to believe in one because I can't figure it out. So last week, we started with a question. What would it look like for a community like us to begin to root ourselves in something more substantial and something that not just is based on what works? What if we based our, our, our lives into some beliefs that are substantial? Is there something we can ground ourselves on that doesn't shift and change throughout our lives? In other words, let's get real clear as a community about what we believe and we're going to use a statement that will help us unify, and we talked about this last week, unify around a common set of beliefs. And so what we decided to do in this series called Rooted is we're going to unpack and look at together a statement that the church for generations all around the world has used for that very purpose. We call it the Nicene Creed, and it takes these foundational truths from the Bible, states them in a clear and concise kind of way, and we're going to look at each part of the Nicene Creed each week in this series. Now, in case you heard that word creed and you got some kind of weird churchy vibes, or maybe you're thinking, I always thought this church was just like, we believe the Bible and that's enough, right? Let me just be clear. A creed is just a tool. A creed is a tool that reflects to us the truth found in the Bible. Think of it this way. It's kind of like the moon's relationship to the sun. The moon doesn't have any power. It doesn't have any light on its own. All it can do is reflect back to us the power and the light of the sun. Creeds are like that. They have no power or light by themselves, but a creed can take the truth revealed to us in the Bible, reflect it back to us in a way that we can remember it, in a way that we can understand it. So this first statement in the Nicene Creed is the one that we're going to spend our time on today in this experience together. And it's simply a statement about God. It's a statement about who God is and what he's like and how we perceive him to be. 
And so we're going to look at this one statement, and I'd like for us to read it out loud together. Here it is. Let's read together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. And over the next couple of weeks, as you're going to see, we're going to continue looking at all these parts of the creed that come after this one. And we're going to get a really clear picture of who God is. And what you will see over the next couple of weeks is God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's what Christians over the generations have come to call the Trinity. And you may have heard that word used before. And I want to say to you... When we bring up this idea of the Trinity, if that raises some questions for you, don't ask me those questions. Because I don't have any answers for that, right? This is one of those things about God that's just mysterious. It's like, how can God be three different persons at one time and he's one God? And You don't have a category for that in your mind. You just don't. It's just one of those things that you have to accept that is. It is who God is, right? But here's what has helped me over the years. I actually find the mystery of God a very comforting thing. It's actually a reassuring thing in my spiritual life. And I'll tell you why it's reassuring to me. It's reassuring to me because I believe that if God truly is beyond me, if God is other than me, then it just stands to reason that there's going to be some things about God that don't make sense to me that my mind will not be able to comprehend. In fact, here's my word of warning. If you ever get to a place in your life where you feel like you've figured everything there is to know about God and you've got him all figured out, watch out. You're probably not working with God anymore. You're probably working with some version of God that looks more like you than it does him. There's got to be some mystery to it. God is way bigger than our ability to understand. So we're going to be looking at all three persons of God in these coming weeks But for today, we're going to focus on the one, God the Father, the almighty maker of everything there is. So as you can see, I have a very small, limited topic to deal with today. Like they came to me a couple weeks ago, you know, on on our teaching team, and they're like, you're preaching on on the 17th. Like, what am I preaching on? God, thanks for narrowing that down for me, right? So where do you even start, right? We're talking about God. Well, Like I said earlier, I really do believe that the picture of God that you carry around in your mind has everything to do with your life. So today, we're just going to get a little better, clearer picture of God. And you've heard me say this before. The best way I know to get a clearer picture of God is to turn to Jesus. See, we're Jesus' people. And the reason that we are Jesus' people here at Community Christian is because we know that one of the reasons that that Jesus came was he said, I came to reveal to you what the Father is like. Jesus said it this way. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you see me, you see the Father. I I have one of my favorite preachers uh, who's uh, alive right now. His name is Brian Zahn. He's a a great preacher. He's out in Missouri. He's a really good theologian, but he loves rock and roll. He's my kind of guy. And I love the way he says this. He says it this way. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We've not always known this, but now we do. I love that. Now, there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of places in the Bible that I could point you to today that where I believe Jesus reveals the Father to us. But today, we're going to look at one that I know you're familiar with. 
But maybe you haven't considered that this is a picture of God the Father. You heard it read just a few minutes ago. And I really like this because it not only it gives us a window, not into God the Father so much as what did Jesus think when he thought about God? When he looked at, and he thought about the Father, what was Jesus thinking? And I think we find that very clearly in what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Remember that moment where Jesus' followers, they come to him and they'd heard him pray a lot. And they're starting to think, we ain't doing this right. <laughs> There's something about his prayers that don't fit with the way we've been taught to pray. And so they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you just teach us how to pray? And so he did. But as we walk through this Lord's Prayer, I want you to notice he's not just teaching about prayer. He's teaching us about the Father. So in this prayer, Jesus shows us two attributes of God that are important for us to hold in balance as we think about God and what he is like. Jesus shows us that God the Father is both infinitely powerful and intensely personal. Jesus says, when you pray to God, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Notice Jesus is inviting us to call God our Father, intensely personal. But then later, Jesus would go even further. He invites us to address God with the Hebrew word Abba. Abba was often the first word a little Hebrew baby would learn to speak. It's the same as our English word daddy or dada. It's a child's name for their dad. It's intimate, personal, even silly or playful. Jesus said that God the Father is our dada. But also notice what Jesus says, our Father in the heavens. Now, this didn't mean some place up in the sky. That phrase means he exists outside of the realm of time and space that we live in. He is beyond us, and therefore we should make sure his name or his reputation is kept holy or set apart and honored. Can you see the balancing act here? God is personal like a daddy, but he's also powerful and beyond us and completely other. Jesus goes on with his prayer and says, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom of God. And put simply, the kingdom of God is a time and a place where God gets what God wants. It's where the creation that God has made begins to live out its purpose exactly the way God designed it to. It's where people live their lives the way God intended them to be lived. God fashioned his world to be a world centered on love and peace and justice. When God made it, he looked upon his creation and said that it was just good. Then he made human beings with one purpose, to image God within his creation to embody all of his attributes while ruling over and taking care of his creation. And when God looked at his image bearers, these creatures who were the thing most like him in all creation, he said that we were very good. So this part of Jesus's prayer is like a call or an invitation or a statement of desire that all of creation and all of its people would become exactly what God intends. And it points to God's infinite power because who else is powerful enough to bring all that comes with God's kingdom? Who else has the power to completely eradicate sin and its effects? To put an end to pain and striving and conflict and sickness and disease? Who else has the power to kill death? So Jesus leads us to call out to God, the Father of all these things, because he has the power to accomplish them. And by the way, because of what Jesus did, we now know for sure that one day he will. But then Jesus turns us back to the other side of God's nature with his next phrase. Jesus prays, give us today the food we need, 
or give us our daily bread. You can't get much more intensely personal than that. So we go from a God who is powerful enough to accomplish cosmic goodness and justice in all of creation to a father who will sit down at the table with us and put food on our plate. He gives us exactly what we need when we need it so that we don't have to ever worry or become anxious. Think of a baby or a toddler who just sits in their high chair and simply waits for their parents to put food in their hands. And after every bite, they just look again to their parents without question that there will always be enough. The thought that their parents will run out of food never even enters their mind. Something has gone wrong if a child feels the need to stuff a sandwich or some mac and cheese into their pockets to save for later just in case mom and dad come up short. Children trust for their daily food. They're not thinking about tomorrow's needs. They trust enough for today. Jesus wants us to know that's what your Father in Heaven is like. He is personally providing your needs every day. You can trust Him for today. He's holding all things together, including you. So don't worry about tomorrow. Just climb up to His table and sit with Him. He's powerful enough to have exactly what you need, and He loves you enough to give it to you. And as you know, Jesus continues as he teaches us about how to approach God the Father. And in his next phrase, he says this, Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And again, in this phrase, you see those two dimensions that we mentioned here. God the Father is powerful. Powerful enough to forgive your sins. Wipe your slate clean. Make it as if your sins have never even been there. He's powerful enough to remove every obstacle that stands in between you and your Father in heaven. He has that kind of power. It's what you might call vertical reconciliation. He's powerful enough to make things right between us and him. Because human beings, we put ourselves at odds with God. We're in rebellion against his authority, his rule, his good purposes in this world. But the Father takes it upon himself. He intervenes. He disrupts our rebellion against him. He acts on our behalf. And he restores the relationship to him. That's powerful. Who can do that? But then notice what else Jesus says in that phrase. The father is also personal enough. He's so actively involved in the smallest details of our lives that he is also working to bring about a horizontal reconciliation. He's about removing the obstacles that bridge the gaps between us and other people. We talked about this a few weeks ago. That's what the church, the assembly of God's people, God's family, that's what we're all about. God, by his transforming power and his love, he is removing the barriers, not just between himself and us, but uh, between one another, between people. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, has brought together the family, what we call the church. And he has united young and old, rich and poor, strong and weak, black, white, brown, and every color in between men and women, and he made us a unified family. The Father has not just reconciled people to him. He is reconciling us to one another. How powerful and how personal is that? That's God the Father. And then Jesus wraps up this section of his prayer as he teaches us, and he says, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. You know, the only people in my life who have any idea about my temptations are the people who are close to me. 
people who are close to me, they, they get an idea of the ways that I tend to turn away from God or not connect with the love of my Father. But I'll tell you this, even the closest people in my life don't know everything about my struggles. They don't know every temptation that I face. I don't know your temptations. You don't know mine. But I'll tell you someone who does. God the Father in heaven, he is so close, he is so personal. He knows every thought that runs through your mind. He knows every inclination of your heart and mine too. And because he's so close and he, he knows all of that, He's the one who can lead me. He can guide me. He can walk right beside me. The, the, writer of, the writer of the Psalms in the scripture says, the Father will lead us beside the stillest, quietest waters. He will also lead us through the darkest valley, even the valley of the shadow of death. That's how personal and how close your Father is. He leads me away from my personal temptations. But notice what else. He's also powerful enough to deliver me and to rescue me from the enemy who wants to destroy me. Your father knows exactly what you struggle with. He cares about that. And he cares enough to lead you through it and to pull you out of it. But he is also powerful enough to destroy whatever power stands against you. He is personal and he is powerful. This is our God. The father that Jesus revealed to us. Infinitely powerful intensely personal in fact he's so personal and we said this i think last week he does not want you to just know him in your head it's not about head knowledge he wants us to know him like a father in other words he wants relationship with us he wants that closeness and this is what praying in this way that jesus taught us to pray can do for us and so today we're going to spend some time together we're going to take a few moments and we're going to talk to our father and we're going to do it in the way that Jesus taught us to. So Molly's going to come and lead us. As we pray in the way that Jesus taught us, I'll pause every so often to give each of us some moments of quiet to reflect on the words and allow God to speak if we'll hear him. And if this is new to you, don't feel pressure to manufacture some kind of mystical experience. We simply want to allow God the space to speak to us and open our ears to hear what he might say. So let's begin by reading these words on the screen together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Now, take a moment to respond to these words. Maybe you need to focus on God as your loving Father, personal and close to you. Or you need to focus on his holiness and power. Take a moment to pray. Let's continue to pray. Read these words aloud with me. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So is there some area of your life or our world where you want to see God's will done, but it's not yet happening? Talk to your father about that. Maybe you need to be reminded that he cares about you. 
cares about what's going on in the world and that he's powerful enough to handle it. Either way, talk to him now. To read these words of Jesus together. Give us today the food we need. What do you need from your Heavenly Father? Maybe it's to simply know that He's near and that He cares about you. Maybe you have a need you want to ask for His power for in your life. Take a moment to speak with your Father now. Once more, let's read these words of Jesus. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, take a moment to ask God for his forgiveness, or maybe ask for his help in forgiving someone who's wronged you. Maybe there's a temptation or situation in your life you need your father's help with. Would you talk to him about that? Let's do that now. Help us to see you the way Jesus has taught us to. You are a good and loving Father who provides and personally cares for our needs. And you're the all-powerful King of the universe. You're able to do more than we could ask or even imagine. So please hear our prayers and may your will be done in our life. In the name of Jesus, amen. Before we end today, I felt like it was important that I just address something that I know probably exists in this room and we haven't said it yet. I know that a lot of people struggle with either one side of God's character or the other, you know, the intensely powerful part or the inf you know, inf infinitely powerful part or the intensely personal part. I'll start by saying this. I know some of you, you don't honestly don't have an issue with the infinitely powerful part but for you, the truth is, you have trouble getting, fa getting past the first two words of Jesus' prayer. Our Father. In fact, for some of you, every time we've said it, it just felt weird. It just wasn't right. A God who is our Father, it's a good thing because, right, it makes us family. We're all brothers and sisters. That's a good thing. 
But for some of you, God being your father is one of the greatest hurdles for you to overcome to get to know him. All of us have dads, right? Nobody got the perfect dad. My girls didn't get the perfect dad. I didn't get the perfect dad. My dad didn't get a perfect dad. Now, we'll say this because I know some of you in this room, you know my dad, and you know what I'm about to say. I won the dad lottery, and I recognize that, you know. My dad didn't get everything right, but most of our, he's like most of our dads. They do the best with what they were given, right? All dads do the best with what they were given, except some don't. Some of you grew up, and let's be honest, mainly what you learned about dad is just shut up and do what he says and stay out of his way. Just, just don't make him mad. Just let him be. And can we just acknowledge that that's the way some of us grew up learning how to relate to our Heavenly Father? Just shut up and leave him alone. Do what he says. Don't take him off. And then there are others of you that it goes even worse because you had a horrible dad. I mean, your strongest memories of your father are filled with pain or abuse or neglect or nothing because dad wasn't even there. And so I just want to acknowledge that I get that it's very difficult for some of us to relate to God as an intensely personal father who loves and who cares for us. And for some of you, it doesn't even feel safe for you to do that right now. And I know some of us, that leaves us with a lot of shame or maybe some guilt. And we start to tell ourselves a story. We start to say, well, what's wrong with me? There must be something in me that needs to be fixed before I can ever come to God or I can ever relate to God. And I want you to hear me say this. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing in you that needs to be fixed. God is not mad at you. He is for you. He is so patient with you. And for you, if viewing God as a father is a barrier in this season of your life, it's okay but I'd like to make a couple of suggestions. First, start by remembering that all of our examples, all of the images of a father, everything we can come up with, all come up short when compared to God. So maybe instead of this, in this season of your life of seeing God through the lens of your father, you could just practice viewing God as maybe like a surrogate father or See him as an image that would stand ahead or replace or eclipse the image of father that you now have. Or maybe you know of some fathers in your life who are good, who are loving, who are patient. Maybe start there. Let God use those positive examples that you do have to reveal to you how much greater he is than those images. And I want to make one final suggestion and I, before I do I have to say some of you who've been in church a long time this is going to sound really odd and it's going to be radical so just tighten your seatbelt; it'll be okay but I believe that if this has become such a huge obstacle for you and you just cannot get over this image of father then for this season in your life I'll tell you it is okay for you to relate to God as feminine or even mother if that's healing for you because remember, 
When God made human beings, he said, human beings are going to image me in this world. Then he created human beings, male and female. Men and women equally carry the image of God. God is not male or female. He is beyond all of those categories. In fact, when you read the Bible, the Bible uses male and female images to help us understand and describe his nature and his love and his care. So if it helps you in this moment in your life to experience God on a deeper level, to know him personally, I believe this might be a helpful thing for you to try. Because I believe that more than anything, God wants to know you, and he wants you to know him personally. And in the end, that's what matters more than any of the other stuff. Now, I want to say on the other side, there are some of you, you don't struggle with the personal side of God. You struggle with the infinitely powerful side of God. And the reason you struggle with the infinitely powerful God is because for you, if God is infinitely powerful, then he's got some splaining to do. Right? These are all the why questions that you carry around with you all the time. I mean, if God can, why doesn't he? Or why didn't he? Because something happened to you or something happened to someone you love or something's happening right now. And you need that infinite power of God to show up. And so far, it just hasn't. I want to say to you, I, I can understand how that feels. I, I don't know how you personally feel, and I would never presume to say that I know how you feel. But I know how those questions make me feel. And I think what it all comes down to, for me at least, is this. Actually, it's two things, okay? Here's the first one. I think most of it comes down to our perspective. See, here's the way I think about it. If God is infinitely powerful, then God can see far beyond what I can see. I mean, who can know the mind of God? Who can know a perspective for all of eternity? To God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day, right? So sometimes for me, when I'm in that place, I just have to ask myself, when I think about what I'm going through in my circumstances in this life, I ask myself, how will this situation look to me when I look at it in 10,000 years? Now, I know that's difficult, but for me, it helps me sometimes. When I'm spending eternity with God, and I'm enjoying his perfectly redeemed world, seeing this moment that I'm in right now, from that perspective, what will I think? The Bible says that our lives in this world, they're like a vapor. They're like a puff of smoke. They're there, and then they're gone. And sometimes if I can just try to glimpse my situation, look at my questions through that lens, it helps me. But then there's one other thing, which is, well, I think all of this stuff really comes down to. All of the hurdles, all the obstacles that stand between us, fully really relating to God in a personal way I think it all comes down to one question in the end is God good is God the almighty father maker of heaven and earth of everything we see everything we can't see is he good because the answer to that question is what settles the issue of all the other things. Whether or not we can relate to him as being infinitely powerful or intensely personal. If at the end of all of it, if at the end of everything, 
if he is good, and I mean truly good, then regardless of what I think and regardless of what I feel, I can trust him. Because if God is good, then in the words of a modern-day poet, we're going to be all right. We're going to be all right, y'all. If he is good, we're going to be all right. Everything that you think and everything that you struggle with and everything that you go through, for you, for country, for all things, we're going to be all right. This is, so this is why for us, around here, we always turn our eyes to Jesus. We see his death, and then we see his resurrection. We, we've seen that not only is God powerful enough to handle everything, including death, he's got that covered. He is also personal enough to do it because he loves you. And he's crazy about all of us, so... As we do here, and it's our custom, we're going to honor that, and we're going to turn our eyes toward Jesus, and we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. Molly's going to lead us. Okay.